Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price of the Boston Globe. Today we are joined by a three-time Super Bowl champion, former Patriots offensive lineman, Joe Andruzzi. Joe, let's get right into it. We're coming off a wild week 13 game, the sort of contest I've never seen. I've covered this team for about 20 years. I'm not sure we've ever seen anything like this around these parts. Patriots passed the ball just three times in the 14 to 10 win over the Bills. From an offensive lineman's perspective, I'm imagining you're sitting at home and loving the way this game played out. Explain to people who might not necessarily be aware, why do offensive linemen prefer run blocking as opposed to pass blocking? Well, put yourself in our shoes because it's an offensive lineman's dream. You're in the stance, three-point stance. You got somebody coming at you, and they're always going truly one direction. You know, very rarely they're in a stance to go backwards. I mean, uh, uh, you know, in fair case, maybe like a uh, form, you know, like a Vrabel or McGinnis type of player where they played a more run, but played some pass and things like that. But overall, I mean, offensive linemen, I mean, you, you put yourself in our shoes. Do you want to be backpedaling with a 300 pound guy in front of you trying to bull rush you, uh, hit your hands, make a moves and just to get to the guy behind you? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know your answer would be no, but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you just nitty gritty bite down on your, your, uh, buckle down your chin strap and, uh, you know, get after it, put that mouthpiece in and you want to, you know, grunt your way to, uh, moving the ball and, and positive yardage and it was working for them. So they had no reason to even, you know, put a halt on it. There was no reason to even. Uh, you know, give Mac the ball and pass. I mean, three times, right? Three times, yep. pass yep. the ball. Yeah, I mean, they showed stats of that during the game, and I was amazed because they showed a bunch of them. I think it was uh, pretty much the stats all revolved around the Bills. There was like two of them, like with the Bills, mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, that hasn't happened many times in all the years of football. So it's pretty crazy on how you look at that. You know, something you don't think about often, but you know, it's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, (laughs) and that's, uh, you know, I'm sure Bill knows that very well. So, and you know, being that he knows that so well, he just, you know, wasn't broke. So he kept on going and kept on, you know, calling those plays with uh, Josh and, you know, keep moving forward because they were gaining positive yardage. What's that like as an offensive lineman when you guys know that you are dominating the line of scrimmage, when you guys are running basically not quite the same play over and over again, but when you have it figured out that you know how to defeat the guy across from you on a consistent basis time and again, that has to be a tremendous feeling to be able to execute that like that consistently over the course of 60 minutes. Well, let me tell you something. It's, uh you know, it's a different day and age, but, you know, still a lot of similarities. But, you know, even when I was playing, I used to say on the fact of how, you know, you have these third down specialists, you know, deep, defensive linemen coming in the game and they got fresh legs and they're in a sprinter stance coming off just to get to the quarterback and get around you. And that's when I learned how to, I learned how to play in a two point stance. <laughs> so, I mean, 
with that being said, it was like, you know, um, you had to come together for, as an offensive line, you've got to be able to play as one. So everybody get on the same page. Who, who do you have for blocking schemes? And, you know, even with the new rules nowadays, you can't even, like, when I was playing, you can't go out, what is it, past the tackles and yep. uh, cut block or something, right? Mm-hmm. So just getting after it and being able to study the film during the week, learn the game plan. So they somewhat had a good game plan going in. And basically, I think one of the announcers said it, it was basically practice for them nine on seven. That's what it seemed like. It was a nine on seven period that lasted the whole game. So with that, they went out there, they buckled up and usually, you know, nine on seven <clears throat> defensively during that period, they know it's run, mm-hmm. but you know, during the game, I'm sure if they uh, started filling the box or whatever, I mean, Josh might've had a game plan for that one too. So you just never know. And uh, being able to turn around and see what's coming at you and have the guys really, I mean, this is the first time they had like the full unit, I think the full five yeah, healthy getting going into a game. Uh, but I think, you know, guys like Ted Karras has really been a spotlight and Andrews, two guys have been, you know, huge spotlights on that offensive line that uh, I love watching interior guys that they're, they're getting after it every play, Ted pulling a lot, getting out on the open uh, and just cleaning out the pocket, you know, you know, along with Shaq too. But I see a lot more running from, uh, from Ted coming around and, you know, I was that pulling guard and you know, I know, I know that uh, instinct and that's, you know, you know, what I watch a lot and, uh, you know, those two great guys, but seeing them go out there and do it, play in and play out has, you know, been amazing. And, you know, uh, watching that game, I was, uh, you know, pretty fired up. I mean, I, I couldn't even go to sleep afterwards because I was so fired up for a former offensive lineman, you know? I hear you. I hear you. I, I wanted, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you bring up um, the guards specifically. And I wanted to get your take on this. Having covered the Patriots for such a long time, there are a few consistencies that I've found over the years. Things were unquestionably the same, regardless of the roster. One of them was the guards were the toughest guys on the team. And I'm not just trying to suck up here, but it didn't matter if it was you, Steve Neal, Dan Conley, Logan Mankins, you know, Ted Karras, Shaq Mason, Joe Tooney, on and on and on. Why is that? What sort of special DNA do you have to have to be able to play guard in the National Football League and for the Patriots in particular? You got to be a type of guy that uh, brings you lunch pail to work. And, you know, uh, I think um, most people know that. And, you know, Bill looks for those type of guys. Um, You know, for myself, um, you know, Bill picked me up off the street uh, as he did with Conley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tooney and Mankins were drafted. Uh, Shaq was drafted. Ted was drafted. I mean, these guys that, you know, he's a uh, football-minded guy, and he looks for these guys that are smart, hard-nosed football players and are going to go out there and give you everything they got. And, you know, for center and guard, those, those are the guys that uh, are the grunt players. That a player is going uh, in and out every play, and like I said, there's no the, the third down specialist on defense. Did you ever hear of a third down specialist on offense? <laughs> no, there's 70 plays. I'm huffing and puffing for 70 plays, and you know and these guys. Uh, you know, take Vince Wilfork. 
I mean, he was known as a what a run stuffer. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at uh, the the other guys that that are out there that come in at third downs, they're they're pass rushing, and that's you know the reason why the defense has done so well too. I mean, they they got they're brought out there to make plays and you know one play at a time. As offense, I mean, you know, I got my hands on my hips, breathing heavy, and trying <laughs> trying to block whether it's run or pass. But uh, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and get out there and do it, and that's that's what it was. Stephen Neal once once said, "Where and this was actually, I think, when he retired, he said playing guard in the National Football League is like getting into a car crash on every single play. the The level of violence and the level of just physicality. I'm not sure that a lot of people would be able to identify with what you guys go through or what you guys went through on a regular basis. Well." If I could say anything, anybody that's continually watching football week in and week out, whether college, whether you know NFL, anywhere, you know, watch the watch the interior line. I mean, you're pretty much hitting on every play, and you know, and I'm not going to pass up anything about the whole head issues and stuff like that. I love what I did. I loved doing it. Uh, you know, I'll let my kids do it and so on and so on, because anything can happen. They can go in the street and get a hit, you know, mm-hmm. fall down and hit their head. They can go on a playground uh, and hit their head. So, you know, it's all, you know, it's all how you look at it. But, you know, I love what I did, and it, it is I – mean, I agree with Steve, and I probably heard that from his voice before. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Steve was a, an all-around guy that just – was an unbelievable athlete. I will hands down that that man, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, just coming from a, a wrestling background for an offensive lineman. Uh, I don't know if you know wrestling at all, but if you have a look at Steve's film, he never, never got bull rushed. Mm-hmm. Well, when he did, he knew how to break down his feet he knew how to take it on, and that's you know, probably why he has bad shoulders nowadays. But uh, you know, he, he took it on in different ways. But uh, you know, he also could run too. I mean, uh, as as a wrestler, they always ran, and Steve would go out there and run like a deer sometimes and piss the rest of us off. But <laughs> you know, I was a, I was a big guy, big Italian guy growing up, and I'm still a big Italian guy. And you know, it's um, you know nature of my background and my hereditary but you know steve was always out there you know pushing himself to make him better make himself better whether it is in the classroom or in the uh, on the field did, did you guys ever put on the old wrestling film of him because i know when you can find it on youtube there is, I believe, well, it's an. There was no YouTube when we were playing, if you remember. <laughs> well, so. there, there's, 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 there's a match between him and Brock Lesnar. Lesnar, right? yeah. So, yeah, after, I, I don't know if you when that first it. came out. Of course, uh, yeah, a lot of people were. Uh, I think it was towards the end of his career and end of my career, and uh, yeah, you had to Google it. You had to get a good laugh at it. But you know, there was plenty of times where guys would mess with him in the locker room. And uh, you know, everybody, uh, you ain't got nothing, Steve. You ain't got nothing. No, you can't. Do, you can't put me. Uh, you know. And when I tell you, I mean, that's a guy you don't want to really mess with. But he put somebody in a chokehold in about two point two seconds, and we were mind boggled because we didn't even see it happening. And that's how quick he was. And 
you know, that's what made him a great wrestler and also, you know, a great football player. You Do know, you remember who that was? I don't remember. I mean, uh, because it happened multiple times, believe it or not, but I don't remember <laughs> who it was. And I probably don't want to name their names and there you go. embarrass there you them go. at all. But, well, I figure, yeah. I figure the, the first guy, he probably doesn't know what he's getting into. The second guy would be the guy that I would have a problem with, you know, doing that challenge in Stephen Neal a second time over something like that. Well, well somebody that doesn't uh, probably didn't see the first one happen and there you go. doesn't understand Steve's background and doesn't uh, get <laughs> what he what he did prior to uh, football. So there you go. There you go. You know, Steve definitely. Uh, he uh, definitely had a drive and determination that, you know, Bill loved. And, you know, you saw week in and week out, and we were all pretty amazed that, you know, he uh, he was there in 2001. He came in as an unknown guy, and, you know, uh, he didn't – he made practice squad, I believe. Then he got yep. picked up. Uh, no, he cut, picked up by Philly. I, mean, I can't remember, Philly, and then he came back to us, and then – you know, and then he's had a great career here, but you know, unfortunately uh, injuries took a toll on him and then he got back from injuries and then, uh, you know, retired after afterwards on everything because uh, his, uh, his shoulders were hurting a lot, but you know, I'm sure like myself, his body's hurting a lot because wrestling is not easy either. I want to get your take on this team as a whole and, and through 13 games, what's been the biggest surprise for you when it comes to this group? Well, this whole group, I mean, being that they just get together, they just got together after the, the draft and summer and training camp, uh, but how they formed and how they grown together um, kind of reminds me a lot of 01. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this comparison before, but if you remember, you know, I was here, I got here in 2000. So I was already part of the team. Uh, Brady was already part of the team. Bledsoe was here. And then you got guys like Mike Compton picked up, uh, signed as a free agent. Mike Vrabel picked up as a free agent. Uh, you know, multitude of people were signed here and brought in Rowan Pfeiffer and uh, just guys to come you know, form this team and come together and, uh, you know, prove to people that, uh, you know, the Patriots weren't a team to mess with. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, Drew did get hurt, but, you know, in came that uh, scrawny little guy named Tom Brady that, uh, you know, you just wanted to smack a smile off his face. But, uh, you know, he had that drive and determination that, you know, everybody wanted. He got in that huddle and he, you know, basically was a rookie quarterback, in his second year, but he turned around and uh, he had that, you know, that leadership quality mm-hmm. that brought, he brought that to the huddle where he wasn't biting his fingernails as a rookie, like, you know, you know, uh, oh my God, nervous and, you know, sweating. And you know, he got in there, like he was there already. He was, he was, he put himself there. He worked hard. He, you know, he was a guy that the whole off season, you know, uh, he got, he was in a gym. He was watching film. He was watching old film of older guys and trying to gain different uh, variables and different techniques and stuff from guys like uh, uh, Bradshaw and Sims and Montana and those guys. I, you know, I remember seeing him come in. He, he, he come in early, leave late. And this is before anything. So mm-hmm. and when he got his chance and opportunity, 
you know, he stepped in that huddle after Drew went down and was able to uh, prove himself. I know that there's a lot of football between now and the end of the season, but but for me, in drawing com- drawing comparisons between this team and the 2001 team, I, I want to be really careful because what you guys did, you guys were able to finish it off and you guys were able to accomplish something really special. And you know, right now we're only 13 games into this season, so there's a lot of time between now and then. But one of the things <coughs> that, that stood out for me about that 01 team was... Well, I'm saying it's 100%. The same, you know, they, they haven't gotten there yet, but you know, <laughs> I'm saying at this po- moment in time mm-hmm. that the, there's a lot of similarities on yeah. how it yeah, developed I, I, to, this, I how agree. It to this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and one of the things, the simil- one of the similarities for me is that the rest of the roster around Brady was so stable. You mentioned some of the guys, the veterans that Bill was able to bring in. Really, for me, that included the group of you guys up front, and it's hard to look past that when it comes to one of the reasons for success of this year's team when it comes to the overall support that they've been able to show Mac Jones. And I was wondering if you could just specifically comment on, you know, how how Bill has been able to surround Mac with some trusted veteran guys up front. You know, you mentioned guys like Andrews. Yeah, but but also on the other side of the ball, you know, there there are guys that he's brought in here like Judon, guys who've been here for a while like Hightower and McCordy. There seems to be a real nice balance on this roster, a group of guys that's able to support a young quarterback. I 100 percent agree. And coming in in 01, Brady wasn't the guy. Drew still had, you know, was the starter. He just signed a big deal. And, you know, nobody knew Tom Brady. Nobody knew who he was. He was a fourth string quarterback in 2000. So, you know, I was, you know, one of the, the senior leaders out there and, you know, they bring in a guy, Compton, another veteran guy, and Woody was there. Uh, we drafted a kid named Matt Light and uh, we had a kid, Greg Robinson Randall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, slowly, you know, coming together on a, on a basis of guys that bring their lunch pail to work. And that's what we were. And, you know, pretty amazing. You know, I can sit here and think about it. Like, you know, even, you know, my kids got me watching that man in the arena show and I'm looking mm-hmm. at it like, you know, I, I told you, I didn't, I didn't remember as much, but Damien Woody couldn't shotgun. And for some reason, I mean, he had troubles with it, you know, in comes Mike Compton mm-hmm. and, you know, he can do it a lot better, but, amazing on how you know Compton moves the center nine out of ten times unless it's a draw or something it's a pass so you just think that's you know truly when I learned how to get in a two-point stance because as soon as Mike went to center <laughs> everything changed because yeah those run stuffers they're not in the game anymore Chris they're, they're on the sidelines those guys that are coming in they're pinning their ears back and they're ready to rush the best rusher so we really had to learn to move fast and, uh, you know, change our whole theory. And, uh, you know, we had a you know great coach on our sideline who was there for many years and trained a lot of these guys that are there now. And you look at Ted Karras and he left, he did a year hiatus, came back. Andrews has been a steady center there. You know, unfortunately he got a little sick with the blood clots and stuff, but Shaq has been the, the mainstay. Mm-hmm. They bring back another guy who went away for two years, I think, Trent. Yep. And uh, Isaiah, you know, coming into his own on the left. And after a few years, 
so all, all those guys have been around each other have uh, i think you know pretty much came in within a year or two a part of each other so they they've played you know well together they have you know uh, formed as i would say one and you know even when you bring the tight ends and you got these two new tight ends coming in the game and sometimes making it if not five but six but i mean getting everybody on the same page when a rookie quarterback is not easy. And it's uh, one of those sayings where you got to take a step back to move forward. And we did that when Tom came in and started playing. So this year they already knew ahead of time that, you know, Mac was going to be the guy uh, week one, you know, they didn't see the future with Cam and, you know, I thought that uh, maybe they would grow uh, with Mac a little bit, but, you know, throw him to the wolves. He played at a big time school. So this is nothing. I mean, it may say rookie on his, on the roster, but he's not a rookie. He came in here and, you know, his play, his ability, you know, he's, he's got to step it up because uh, he's got to become a leader. He's got to become a veteran. So with that being said, joining this team and coming together and, learning the tangibles of your offensive line and being able to, you know, feel the pressure uh, around you, calling, calling the uh, calls out there, then having uh, Andrews relay them and making their own calls up front, get everybody on the same page, whether it's a run or pass. And I mean, we started the other night with the runs, how he pointed it out and these guys pointed this person, that person and coming off firing and, you know, cleaning people out. So, you know, you love seeing that as a former O-lineman and, you know, even you guys uh, and girls out there that are uh, huge into, uh, you know, Patriots and the Patriot fans that are out there, you know, that truly loved it. And like, you know, uh, for me, just like I said, I couldn't go to sleep because I was excited for them. And, <laughs> you know, watching that play and, and amazed that there was only three passes thrown. So I was like, <laughs> Oh man, I mean, that's usually give or take. That's usually a game like uh, like if it's if it's raining and and uh, and well, everybody's got pretty much turf nowadays. But the grass fields, you know, you remember back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, the mud and the wetness. It's hard to throw the ball, but everybody thought that was going to be the game during uh, the Oakland game in 01 with the blizzard. But then uh, here we go. We start <laughs> passing the ball around, and I think uh, Troy, David, Wiggy. They must have had glue on their hands or something because that ball was frozen <laughs> solid, wet from the snow, and you know he, they 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 took it in and we were able to go down there and and you know knowing we had a, a great kicker on the sidelines, so it gave us a chance and opportunity, and we were able to move forward to the Super Bowl that year. And you know hopefully uh, I'm sure they're taking it one week at a time, mm-hmm. just like we did. And you know I heard Teddy say it on the on the show the other night, and you know it's it's one week at a time. You're, you're taking it, you know, one week, one game at a time, you go to practice, you, you push yourself, you, you teach the work ethic to the younger kids. When the offense is working, the defense is running a little extra. When the defense was working, the offense was working a little extra. So a little extra here, a little extra there. And then I think uh, the linebacking core always had a uh, one up thing. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you know, they had the one-up thing, but it was more like that. That's that's how it developed, like the Patriot way or whatever they want to say. But it was a group effort. It was you know all of us one up and uh, one up in the NFL and one up and as a team. And you know, we wanted to 
put that work in because we wanted that challenge and we wanted to go back every year to Super Bowl. So, I mean, it was fun. I mean, when you're winning, things are better and things come a lot easier. <laughs> when you're losing, uh, you know, it doesn't always come as easy. But I think uh, one of the guys said it the other night, even when you lose, though, so, I mean, even when you win sometimes by like 40, you know, Bill being a creature of habit, he, he'll turn around and uh, tell you how it is and tell you what you did wrong. Oh, yeah. When you won by 40. So give or take, it's, uh, it's hit or miss. It's I have a one more offensive line specific question here before we start to, to to wrap things up. There was some talk earlier this year that when Michael Wenu came back from a stretch on the sidelines, he should have been reinserted into the starting lineup at the expense of Ted. But the Patriots have gone with Karras and they've used Mike as the extra offensive lineman, really in jumbo packages, basically as a tight end. Explain to people why Bill might want to go with a guy like Karras instead of a Wenu. Is there something to the idea of continuity there, maybe, or, or is there something else at play? Well, it could be continuity. Uh, I don't know. I haven't watched film. You know, I, I watch the game. I'm a one-time watcher, and uh, unless it's highlights. But if it's uh, continuity, I'd have to say that's hands down that Ted, David, and Shaq all that interior three have been together before and now, but, you know, knowing that uh, probably Ted is a, you know, student of the game. He had, uh, I think his family, his father and uncle both played in the NFL. He knows football. He knows, he knows how to make quick decisions. So, for, you know, with all that being said, and, you know, he knows the, um, the uh, issues that come along with offensive linemen and uh, watching the film, seeing different different things that come at them and then seeing it in the game, making those quick decisions. And not to put down uh, the other guy, but, you know, it is a uh, different system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that, you know, he, he's probably still learning and but also having a chance, an opportunity to be out there suited up because we all know it only takes one play. Mm-hmm. and you know you never know when you're going to be called upon so for him you know i would just say be ready because you know um you may be called upon you never know what's going to happen and you know you saw a lot of interchangeable parts mostly at the tackles this past year but uh you know they're holding their own and you know hopefully they can all stay healthy now and this is the the time of year where you, you got to try and stay healthy because nobody's 100 percent you know, this is, this is the time where you got to turn around and just push through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've done it in the past and I'm sure they'll do it in the future. And Bill will teach him, you know, how to get better and how to prepare your body. And, you know, if not Bill, well, uh, well Dante is not there anymore, but Dante will definitely put you in the right sense of mind and the right sense of urgency on how to prepare and how to be ready for the next thing to come. I'm glad you bring up Dante because I want to get your favorite Dante Skarnecchia story. I talked to Rich Ornberger earlier in the year and he gave me kind of a PG-13 version of his favorite one. And so as delicately as possible, give me your favorite Dante <laughs> I'll try not Skarnecchia to, I'll story. I'll try not to cuss. I don't know if this is a, a PG-rated show, but uh, you know, Dante wasn't known for not cussing put it that way. And, uh, so my favorite one, I mean, I love Dante, you know, true, you know, true about everything. He was a guy that put his time in, 
former military guy and yeah, he'll tell you how life is. He'll tell you, he, you know, he'll tell you, he'll respect you and anything that he can do and make his decisions. He's got you, he's got your back. And those of you out there that have played sports, sometimes, uh, you know, coaches and other people don't usually have your back and don't usually will stand up for you. And Dante could care less. When you, when you are a part of that offensive line room, you are his guy. And, you know, no matter how much he's dog cussing you on the field, you know, through practice, through games, you know, he's going to come off that field and he's going to put your arm around you or he'll, you know, come over and just nudge you up and say, hey, uh, Joe, how's, uh, how's Jen and the kids doing, my wife and kids? And, uh, you know, through that kind of stuff, just checking in and making sure everything's all right because he's a personal guy and, you know, he has a wife and kid, kids himself. I got to know his, uh, his kids. I got to know his wife. My wife and uh, his wife, you know, became close, but just a great family. Um, you know, his mom, he brought his mom here. She lived with him and unfortunately passed away a few months ago, 93 years old. But, um, you know, it's some good genes. But Dante, hands down, was one of the, you know, unsung heroes in that in that coaching room because, you know, they, they would be quiet, but. Yeah, I'll never forget, and I can't really mention the name, but getting uh, beat down in one of the games and uh, getting yelled at by probably every coach and sitting on the sidelines and on our bench to get uh, to watch some stuff. I mean, watch them draw some stuff on how to uh, protect the, the right calls and do this and do that. And somebody came over and yelling at us and, you know, a lot of cuss words. And Dante stood up and got in their face and said, um, that's enough. And words were said back and said, no, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to them, meaning the O-line. Mm -hmm. And he got back and goes, well, if you're talking to them, you're talking to me too. And not so much those words, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. And yep. Yep. to get that and to feel that, you know, get you fired up and, you know, want you to play as hard as you can for a coach like that. And, uh, you know, a guy who stuck around through what, six, seven head coaches here, mm -hmm. right. Through the years. And I think uh, it was six, I think it was six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, be, he got, he was very well respected and very, you know, throughout the league and throughout every, all the players, not just old line, but, I mean, even back in the day, he coached special teams. Some of the guys that I meet with the alumni now and, you know, love him to death. And, you know, same thing. As much as he dog cuss you out there, he's going to come over and shake your hand and say uh, and ask you how the family's doing. Uh, you know, when 9-11 uh, happened, he, you know, constantly checked in with me, with my, my family and my brothers. And then when I got sick with cancer. Uh, in 07, I retired. He reached out right away and checked in on me, you know, as well as other coaches. But, you know, I do remember that. And, uh, you know, many things that uh, revolved around him made him, you know, a very well-respected coach uh, throughout the whole league. And I'm sure when he retired, people were sad. And, you know, and, I'm, and not just Bill. I'm sure there was other coaches trying to bring him back. But Bill was able to get him back for a couple more years. But, you know, he, he developed those guys that are out there on the field right now. And you see those guys that was developed by SCAR and their drive determination. You know, now it's just, 
you know, uh, taken over by another guy, but, you know, it's still, you know, learned and formulated by uh, Dante Scarnacchio. One of the things that really stands out for me, Joe, is that the second time that he retired, they brought in two guys to fill his shoes, an offensive line coach and an assistant offensive line coach. I think that pretty much says all that you need to know about the level of standing that he has within the franchise, that it took two guys to try and replace him. Let's quickly wrap it up here with an update. Give me the latest on what's going on with the Joe Andrusi Foundation. I know you guys are recruiting charity runners for the Boston Marathon. What else is going on and how can people help you guys out? Well, check out joeandrusifoundation.org. We have a um, bunch of things that uh, go on throughout the year, but we do have a Team JF that runs the Boston Marathon that we get. We are partnered with John Hancock Charity Program. And we, uh, you go online, you fill out a uh, form that you request to run for us. And yeah, there is a, a raising you know, uh, minimum raising, uh, you know, fee for it, mm-hmm. but also Falmouth Road Race. We have a gala every fall. We have a golf outing in June and, you know, multitude of things. We have other people that step up into third-party events. We have, uh, you know, hop-over events. We were trying to go out and spread the mission and tell people, you know, what we're about. But you can find, you know, everything online and, you know, our biggest, our mission is helping cancer patients, you know, with help, hope and a reason to smile so we can, you know, turn around and uh, help them throughout New England with their home end bills. So we don't pay uh, more, we don't pay uh, any medical. Mm -hmm. So we step up and uh, we help with the financial toxicity that a lot of people don't think about when you're going through cancer that you know, uh, you might be thrown out of your house because you can't pay your mortgage or, you know, uh, our new program we have is our uh, food sense, you know, food program and uh, truly amazing throughout COVID. So, almost, you know, two, almost two years now, COVID and uh, everything going on and these people, cancer patients have to choose between getting their medicine to help them, you know, heal and live or putting food on the table. So we have a food security program that we started up. We uh, launched it with uh, with uh, Stop and Shop. They helped us kick it off. And uh, our lead sponsor now is ROI Communications and being able to get that feedback from social workers, from patients, because not only are they getting assistance with their home and bills, but being able to help them put food on the table and you know turn around and... Uh, you know, the little things that count when they open up and see a, a gift card to a food store near them, a grocery store. And it's truly amazing. And I love reading the emails, the letters and you know, everything that comes back to us because it's truly heartwarming. And somebody recently told me that, you know, I, I loved you as a player, but I love you for more for what you do now. And that's truly you know, one of the most respectful things I've heard and can take in and makes me want to do more and push more and help others to, um, you know, relieve a little bit of that burden so you can care for your loved ones, whether it's yourself or, you know, a lot of people forget about the caretakers and, you know, what's going on in their life behind the hospital. I mean, I was in the hospital in 2007 for 50 plus days hmm. straight. And, you know, I had 
different type, but I had a very rare and aggressive form of cancer. But you know, my uh, wife and kids, uh, and my family, we were, we were all shooken up and not knowing if I was going to get out of there. And those walls close in on you. So it's, it's real tough. And, you know, having those opportunities and having, you know, building the, this foundation, you know, from and geared towards that on the fact of having upbeat outings and being able to get people out of the hospital and take them on a Godzilla ride in Boston, which they donate every year. But, you know, unfortunately haven't done that since COVID, but hopefully in the near future, but seeing the smiles, spreading smiles and just being able to move forward because to me, laughter is that best medicine, you know, smiling every day helps release those endorphins that helps you heal. And, you know, last thing I remember my daughter thinking it was absolutely hysterical that dad was bald. I mean, <laughs> she was six or seven years old at that time. And, you know, and uh, she was uh, hiding behind mom's leg. And every time I came, I was able to come home for a day or two in between. You know, we had a great big belly laugh. And, you know, I'll never forget that. And 20 years later, and, you know, I shaved my head for cancer and I'm FaceTiming her and she starts laughing again. And I was like, ah, oh, I guess, you know, that, that, that stuff doesn't change. And, uh, you know, I just have another laugh and, you know, being able to smile every day. And you know, I tell people all the time, what, what, what could they do for their friend? I said, you know, buy them a joke book, you know, help, help them in other ways, help the, the family at home, help the caretaker. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they have kids and stuff, or if it is a child, it's sometimes that, you know, your whole life is really turned upside down. But, you know, lots of prayers, but, you know, you can't change what you did yesterday. You don't know what tomorrow brings, but, you know, live for today and keep moving forward. So I appreciate it. Anybody, other information, joeandrewsyfoundation.org, you know, being able to help and, you know, pay it forward in many different ways with uh, the foundation helping those in need. Joe, you carved out a really impressive career as a player, three-time Super Bowl champ, one of the best, one of my favorite offensive linemen that I, I had the opportunity to cover, but your post-playing career, I think, is maybe an even more impressive legacy. So, so thank you for providing some insight into you know, what goes on between the lines, but also giving us a little perspective today on, you know, maybe what's, you know, not what's more important, what is definitely more important in the long term. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for doing this. And hopefully we can hook it up again sometime in the not too distant future. Sure. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you very much. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.